This is recording number 10808 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the ninth message in the outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 22, 2009. This message is titled, Prophecy. That book you have in your hand that you use to turn to the book of Acts is prophecy. Right there, you have that in your hand. It is prophecy. And yet, a lot of us have come to the place where we're not afraid of this any longer. Some of us at the beginning were kind of afraid of this, but not anymore. Because we've found that what happens when we open this book is that we hear from God. We hear the voice of God giving us instruction about how to live and about how he loves us and how we can have relationship with him. And so it's not something odd, strange, or weird. It's something very life-giving to us. And over and over again in the Bible, it talks about the subject of prophecy. It's not some sort of marginal uh, issue. It's something God is very interested in and wants for us to experience. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, but if you've been hung around uh, Christians uh, or certain brands of Christians for any length of time, you may have uh, encountered some things like this. I, I've just over my life kind of made a list of some of the oddball things that people have said, Christians have said, when they purported to be speaking for God. You know how they change their voice. It's like, thus saith the Lord. And then whatever follows, everybody's supposed to go, oh, yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah, right? So here's a few of those that I have encountered that I thought were somewhat noteworthy. Excuse me. The mouth is not working really well today. Noteworthy was what I meant to say. There was a little old lady one time. She started off her little prophetic uh, utterance like this. There's fear in the north. You know, voice changes, and there's get a little vibrato going. There's fear in the south. There's fear in the west. And I'm a little bit afraid myself, saith the Lord. <laughs> I, I don't really kind of imagine God actually saying that. Another time, guy stands up and he goes, Thus soundeth the trumpet of the Lord, a rooty toot toot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like this one. Thus saith the Lord, as far as I know, I have nothing against you. Uh, bless you. Another time, guy says, as I said through my servant, I think it was John Wesley, as though God was going to forget something important like that. Now, this one, takes, this one goes back a ways. See, I'm old. I hate to admit it, but I'm about to be 54 here pretty soon. So this, go, so this goes back a ways. Some of you will have heard of a, of a televangelist named Oral Roberts. His name is mentioned here. That's what a, he, he's a televangelist. Some of you will remember a, an old-time television uh, western called Gunsmoke. That's what's being talked about here. Thus saith the Lord. Now, by, by the way, I'm not making these up. No. These actually happened. Thus saith the Lord, 
I know you have purchased a television and you have said in thine heart that it was for watching Oral Roberts. But I say to you, you have been watching Gunsmoke. <laughs> Somehow, I'm not quite sure God is all that interested in that stuff. One time I heard a guy stand up and he says, I don't, I don't have the whole thing here, but he was referring to, he's going to talk about a couple and, and the couple he's referring to was the, or were the pastors of, uh, of this church that, uh, where this took place. Anyway, he goes, it's just the first, the first three words that cracked me up. Many moons ago, I brought this couple to this valley. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's getting, yeah, anyway. And now this one I really, really, really appreciated. This lady, she was in the middle of giving what she purported to be a prophetic utterance. And she goes, she, she goes, oh, forget it. This isn't the Lord. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I just snorted. That wasn't. Uh, <laughs> this is a. Now, this one was a. Uh, this was directed. This was like a, a personal word of prophecy. It wasn't happening in a church or anything, but. It, it was the, the, a Christian who was a manicurist, and there was a, a lady who she was, uh, you know, doing her nails anyway. And the lady who was having her nails done, she says, Thus saith the Lord, your prices are too high. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know what's in people's minds sometimes. The tragic thing is, even though these are funny, the tragic thing is it does great damage to our receptivity and our availability to hear from God. And you're going to see today that God wants to speak to us. Now let me tell you about another story. This one happened, uh, this one involves me and my wife Sue. And the details of how we ended up in the condition we were at that particular time in our lives is not important, but, but they were very, very challenging. We were in the we were right on the threshold of uh, losing uh, our home. We were, uh, in, in fact, we were within days of foreclosure on that, on that property. And uh, I had no job. My wife was underemployed. And uh, there was just an awful lot of things that were just, it was like the devil was piling on. You know? now, now, granted, a lot of the reason we were in that position was just for, because of our own stupidity and foolishness. But the, the, the adversary, the devil, and by the, the way, there, there is one uh, who doesn't like you very much. And uh, me either. And he, no, I, I didn't mean that I don't like you very much. I mean, <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't like me very much. Um, Anyway, he, he was taking advantage of those things and really piling on, and we were losing it. We were losing it. We, were, we really had in our minds often, God, where in the world are you? Where are you? Uh, perhaps you, you've, you've had experiences like that. And then a guy that we had, um, we really didn't know at all, um, or at least not well. I mean, we, we had met him and had some casual acquaintance with him, but he didn't know our story at all. He didn't know what we were going through at all. And one day he came to us and he said, Randy and Sue, I want you to know that God, God's plans for you are for profit, 
not foreclosure. Now, me having said that may not seem very dramatic, but to us, it was like water to a man dying of thirst. To hear that someone who had no idea of our circumstances was passing on a message from the God and maker of the universe to us. That his intentions for us were not foreclosure, but for profit. That meant everything. It meant everything. It restored our hope and caused us to once again be able to put, you know, you start to lose your grip. You're trusting in God. I mean, we all, you know, goes without saying, we trust in God. But you kind of start to lose your grip a little bit when things are so tough. But hearing that allowed us to get a hold again. And, and God turned all of those situations around and, and restored in so many wonderful and dramatic ways. But I am so grateful that there was a person willing to speak to us on God's behalf. To take the time to hear from God, first of all, for us, and then to speak to us on God's behalf. And you've got to know that he's risking something to do that. He's risking looking like an idiot or a fool. All the things that would, might go through your mind if you felt the Lord calling upon you to do something like that. Surely he experienced that as well. And yet, he did. And I am so grateful that he did. We concluded, uh, we are continuing our, our study in the book of Acts called The Outpouring. And we concluded last week, we left off at verse 18 of chapter 11. We're going to pick up again now at uh, verse 19 and go on through the end of, of this chapter and you'll remember that uh, we, uh, in, we talked quite a bit about uh, the Apostle, or, or, or Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul last week and his dramatic uh, conversion. Verse 19 of chapter 11, the book of Acts says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Now remember, Jesus has given his church the assignment to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But they've been stuck for about 10 years in the city of Jerusalem. But a persecution... uh, uh, Develops against the believers after the stoning or the martyrdom of Stephen, and it forced them to travel to, for fear of their lives, trying to escape the persecution to various parts of the world. And with them, they took the gospel and preached it there. And that's what we read there in verse 19 and 20. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. How many of you remember Barnabas? Okay, Remember, he was given the nickname um, Son of uh, Encouragement. Uh, A dear guy, a dear guy, faithful guy. And uh, so the churches, the, the leaders in the church in Jerusalem are hearing about the conversions that are happening in far-flung places. And uh, they want to send Barnabas out to check up on it and see if things are actually uh, uh, being handled in an appropriate way. So, verse 23, When he had come and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. 
For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. This is such a great thing. We didn't talk about this last week, but after uh, Saul's conversion, that dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road, this guy who has been been, um, publicly uh, in a a furor over um, the Christian sect, quote, quote, and he's been pursuing them uh, everywhere they go, trying to uh, stamp out this whole thing. And suddenly, he has a conversion experience that causes him to become one of them. And now he's a believer in Christ. We talked last week about how he ended up uh, in Jerusalem and being embraced by the apostles there. But after a period of time, he went home to his homeland of Tarsus up in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey, a long way from Jerusalem. And he's been hanging out there for some period of time. And Barnabas, who was the one who, remember, defended Saul when he first came to Jerusalem because the apostles didn't want anything to do with him, uh, now Barnabas is going to go find him. So he goes, uh, travels all the way up to Tarsus to find Saul. Verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Antioch of uh, in Syria. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church there at Antioch and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It's interesting that uh, the name that stuck, Christians, Christ followers, little Christs. Even though it may have been, that label may have been first given in derision, it's the name that stuck, and it's first uh, applied to the believers in a place far from Jerusalem, in Antioch of Syria. And Antioch is, I told you last week, the, the center of gravity for the advance of the gospel is shifting now in these days between or from Jerusalem to the Gentile world. And Antioch is posed on the threshold of the, of the rest of the Roman Empire, the Gentile world. And, and it becomes a, a power of that church in Antioch becomes a powerful force for the kingdom of God. And Paul and Barnabas hang out there for a year teaching uh, the believers. Now, here's what we're after today. Verse 27. In these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So uh, Luke, the doctor, physician Luke, who is recording this uh, record of the book of Acts, he makes note of the fact that what the Prophets who came from Jerusalem and visited in Antioch said actually did come to pass. They're predicting a uh, a great famine, a worldwide famine. Verse 29, Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So these these men who had a ministry about, uh, around uh, prophecy or prophesying came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And while they were there, they received some, uh, a word from the Lord. There was going to be a global famine. And the people of that church decided, hey, let's take action. Let's be proactive. And they uh, gathered uh, supplies and gifts 
to help out the believers who were already under per- persecution in Jerusalem, and they sent that, those gifts with Paul and Barnabas. Now, I just want to focus on the fact that there was a vital, genuine, important ministry around prophecy that the early church experienced. We're in this study, the outpouring, because we want to be more like this church. Because we want our Christian lives and experience to be more like we read on these, in these pages. Not just, you know, attending a service now and then, putting a few coins in the offering as it goes by, but actually alive in God and experiencing the kinds of life-changing things that we read about in these verses. We want that. So, dear one, we want prophecy too. And we need it. So let's just talk about that a little bit this morning. The first thing I want to talk with you about is let's gain a perspective on what uh, prophecy is. So let's offer a definition. It is the supernatural enabling to speak for God. But I want to make an important distinction. It is a word from God, not the word of God. And that's a huge, huge distinction. When God grants a word of prophecy, it is a timely, divinely inspired declaration from him that is in harmony with the word of God. And anybody who ever purports to be speaking for God and that declaration doesn't harmonize, doesn't, isn't in sync with this, is not genuine. So please, before we go any further, let's get that settled in our mind. But I want you to um, consider Numbers chapter eleven twenty nine. that's on the screen there. This is Moses, or during the time of Moses' life and ministry. And he says these words. It comes deep from in his heart. He says, Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Well, dear one, that happened. We read about it in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. So the, the availability of the Holy Spirit to use each of us. And this scripture to be fulfilled is at hand. It's at hand. Let's talk about the priority of prophecy and I'm going to ask you to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians is south of Acts. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And when you get there, chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now look at verse 31 of that same chapter. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. I think it's pretty clear. We could go to other verses of Scripture too, but it's pretty clear. This is something God wants to do and wants for us to experience. Not just some sort of, as some sort of parlor game or some sort of, uh, you know, thing that is, ooh, that was exciting. But because we need, how many of you need to hear from God from time to time? Yeah. 
But we have a God who wants to speak and he makes his voice available to us through this powerful gift. It's important, I've already said this, but it's important for individuals. I gave you our little story. I could give you many more out of our lives experience where we um, found ourselves directed and guided and helped and aided by a word of prophecy, a timely declaration, declaration from God for our circumstances. But it's also important for the church Listen, you may not be aware of this, but you want to be a part of a church where there are people listening for the voice of God about the direction, about what his intentions for us are in any given season. And so it's incredibly, this is incredibly important. It's a high priority in terms of God and in terms of the scripture. Let's talk about the purpose of prophecy. Same book, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, it says, But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Let's talk about what those words mean. When someone gives a prophecy, it is uh, designed to be these things. First, edification. Well, what does that mean? It means to establish something or to build. God wants to establish um, patterns, uh, healthy, whole patterns in your life. He wants to establish something of his kingdom where you live and where you work in in the midst of the circumstances of your life. He wants to build a place, rebuild, and to construct um, things in your life that have been torn down by sin and by um, disobedience. Edification. God, when he speaks to us through the word of prophecy, his intention is to establish and to build. Exhortation. What does that mean? Well, it means to summon. Have you ever been... In fact, uh, I remember yesterday, um, Noel was telling us a story at the Men's Institute about a time when he was playing basketball and getting ready to uh, signal for someone to come in and take his place because he was exhausted. And another teammate saying, suck it up! (laughs) And how that just startled him and gave him... Well, maybe I could suck it up. And, and he went in and, and did the thing. I hope you won. I, you didn't say that yesterday. <laughs> Sometimes we need God to get in our face and say, suck it up. Don't we? And prophecy is like that. Sometimes it just startles you into, well, okay, maybe I can do that. Or to stir. Exhortation also means to stir. In fact, uh, Paul famously um, speaks to his protege in the faith, Timothy, in, in, uh, in one of the New Testament epistles. And he says, Timothy, Timmy, stir it up, man. Stir up the gift of God that's in you by the laying on of my hands. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We need to hear from God like that. But also comfort. So edification, exhortation, and comfort. Comfort is probably the most familiar of these three words that's up there on the screen today. But when God is comforting us through the word of prophecy, he's consoling and he is encouraging. And we all need that too. Let's talk about the power of 
prophecy. Same chapter, same book, 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 22. Therefore, tongues, that's the gift of tongues, which we've talked about before, are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. In other words, prophecy is a sign for believers. I'll come back to that. Verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Yes, they will, and they should. If you came in here this morning and you found, you know, 70 people in this room, you know, blabbing away in tongues you did, or languages you didn't understand, you would think they were nuts and that you were nuts for even coming here. And Paul says, let's, let's, let's get that uh, gift sort of harnessed and organized and in its right place because, 24, but if you prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. The power of prophecy is it's a sign to believers in this way. As I described earlier, that prophetic word that was given to Sue and I in that period of desperation, it was a sign to us that God had not forgotten us. God, somehow I'm still on your radar. Thank you. Thank you. It's a sign. It's also a revealer. There are times when the word of prophecy comes and it just exposes your heart. Just opens it up. And sometimes there's some ugly stuff there that gets exposed. In fact, I venture to say most of the time, there's some nastiness in there that gets exposed. But it's never, the intention is never just to kind of leave you hanging there with your nastiness open to the world. But it's so that God can cleanse, heal, restore, fix, redirect, mend, all those things that we so desperately need. Uh, I, I'm a proponent of the helping professions. Um, you know, Psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, uh, anybody who wants to try to help somebody, anybody, and and listen, all of us, everybody, needs some help in some way. We're all kind of twisted, right? Uh, And so I'm really grateful for the helping professions that God allows. uh, He's given us uh, skills and expertise and talents and Education that, that allows people to wade into that twistedness and, 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 and help people. Thank God for that. But I am convinced more and more with every day that passes, because I'm in the helping profession, if you, if you uh, want to think of it that way, and, and I'm learning that more and more, really the key to untwisting that stuff is a word from God. So that we don't just, uh, you know, kind of trade one addiction for another. So that we don't just, uh, you know, kind of get the the whip in the chair and keep the lion at bay, sort of. But that the bondage gets broken. The habit 
is gone. That the lion has turned into a lamb. And that requires something far beyond any degree on a wall, in my opinion. And uh, so when God begins why the word of prophecy to reveal stuff in my, my heart, look at this happens to me with some frequency. And my first, my, my first reaction is, oh, no, no, no. But when I reopen, when I um, surrender to what God is trying to do in me through his prophetic word, whether it's directly to me or to me through someone else or from his scriptures, uh, if I will surrender to it, oh, my gosh, uh, something uh, beautiful, wonderful happens. I'll get off of this. Let's talk about the presentation of prophecy. I gave you some odd examples at the, at the beginning of this service of people who purported to be presenting a word of prophecy. Let's talk about how it ought to really go. Uh, same chapter, same book, 1 Corinthians 14. Start with me at verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. We'll leave it there. Um, I want to talk to you about receiving a word of prophecy. Let's say you this morning are kind of thinking, you know, that sounds really scary. But, boy, it also sounds like something I'd like to be part of. If God could use me to minister to someone else through the word of prophecy, I think I'd like to do that. I'd like to be part of that. Well, how do you go about that? Well, there's three things, in my opinion. Invitation, inspiration, and uh, initiation. Invitation. If you, if you don't extend God an invitation to use you, I guarantee you he won't. So if you want to just be safe, then don't ask him to, to use you in this way. But if on the other hand, you want to be a candidate to be used by God to give a word of prophecy, it begins by saying like something like I just said a minute ago, Lord, it's kind of scary, but I'm here. Could you use me? If so, I'm available. Simple as that. Invitation. Then there's inspiration. Inspiration is so hard to define. But it's like you just get a sense that God is prodding you, moving you, tapping you. I, this just comes out of my own um, Experience, so it may not, may not mean anything to you, but it's almost for me. It's like God tapping me on the shoulder. I don't really feel any, you know, uh, tap, but it's like that. It's like God just kind of getting my attention or trying to get my attention, and it's as though the Lord is saying, "Get ready, get ready. I want to use you. Get your heart ready. Focus in on me. I want to use you now." It's very, very, very subjective. But don't miss this point. Be ready. When God comes tapping on your shoulder, be ready. And he will. He's looking. We've already read that it's God's intention to use all of us. He will, if you'll make yourself available to him.
Finally, initiation. Now, initiation means kind of like when you put the key in the ignition of your car and turn it. You're turning the ignition. And that, igni- that ignites or causes an, an actual ignition. It ignites a, uh, the uh, uh, fuel to cause that engine to go. And there is something, whenever I'm ready for God to use me, and he begins to let me know it's time, there's something he's going to give me, like a key in the ignition that turns it over. And that comes in the form that, uh, in my observation and in my experience, in one of four ways, it comes as a word, a phrase, a picture, or a scripture. That will be the thing that ignites it. Sometimes it's just one word. Sometimes it's a a phrase. Thank God for those times because it makes more sense to me. Sometimes it's an image or a picture I'll see in my mind. And sometimes it's a verse of scripture that it's like God will just highlight and say that is for that person today. In fact, I already had that happen one time today, this morning already talking with someone and the Lord just said, this, is, this scripture is for them. Now they could have looked it up themselves and all that, but I want them to know I'm speaking to them in this moment right now. And that's prophecy. When we do things like that, when we step out, that's God's voice being heard and communicated and it's making a difference in someone's life. How about giving a word of prophecy? Do you really have to do all that stuff of getting the vibrato going and the change your voice and, you know, do you have to say, thus saith the Lord and all that kind of stuff? No, please don't. We read right here that the spirit of the subject, is, or the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Exercise self-control. This is never going to be a situation where God is going to just, you know, make you go through convulsions or something or do you know your eyes are not going to roll back in your head you're not going to you know it's it's not like that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet self-control don't panic sometimes i've seen people you know they they, they, you know it's like coming on you know it's coming on them and it's like oh oh, no now what i do don't panic don't panic it's okay nothing weird's going to happen just, and be yourself. Be yourself. Sensitivity. Um, be sensitive to the timing of things. God gave me a word of, I believe, God gave me a word of prophecy for somebody about two years ago, and I have yet to give it because the timing is not right. I'm waiting. And that's okay. Be sensitive to the timing. And be sensitive to the dynamics of, of, of what, you know, of the situation and the circumstance. Don't be confrontive if, if, if that's not what's called for. You know, just be, be natural and be responsive to what the moment is, is presenting. And then there's submission. Submission to church leadership. In this congregation, we are not going to put up with funny business. We're going to welcome the genuine article. God speak to us through prophetic word. 
But we're not going to put up with people who want to take advantage of that to uh, be seen or to be show off their spiritual prowess or gyrate on the floor. We're not going to, but we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I think in the background of people's minds sometimes is this notion that, well, are we just going to let everything and anything happen? And the answer to that is no. Now, I'm, I'm past time uh, for this message, so I'm going to close here. But I will say to you that there is also, uh, we are uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, and we are told that we are supposed to judge prophecy. And that, and that goes along with what I was just saying. And there are clear uh, instructions given to us in 1 Thessalonians five nineteen through 22 about how we're supposed to judge prophecy and the criteria by which we do it. And that goes uh, along with what I was just saying. You can rest assured that whether it's me or someone else that I've delegated to be in charge of any particular service or gathering where you are, that we are going to take that seriously. And we are not going to allow for oddball or weird things to happen. But we are going to take some risk too. And we're not going to decide that everything has to be so clean and so pristine. We want to give people a chance to, to make a few mistakes if they need to, to get this right. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because we need to hear from God. We need to hear from God. Before we go, let me just read you some examples because um, if you haven't been exposed to prophecy in a healthy setting, it, it might be hard for you to, under, to imagine what that would be like. So let me just read. And I, I'm, I'm putting myself up here for an example, not because I'm perfect in any way or anything, but these were some words of prophecy that I took notes of. I don't do this very often, but Sue and I on, a, on one occasion were... Uh, just praying for a group of people. We kind of just went down the line. People wanted to uh, be prayed over, and if, if God gave us a word for them, they wanted to receive it, we said, okay. So we just uh, went down the line, prayed over a bunch of people. Afterwards, I took some notes so that I could recall the things that the Lord said to them. And here's just a few, so you can kind of get the sound of it. You can kind of get the sense of it, so you know what to look for and listen for. So there was a girl named Mayi. And uh, here's, here's what I wrote. I, I saw a little girl. This one started, most of these you'll find started with a picture for me. I, I laid my hands on him to pray for him and a picture would come. And then that would distill out into what you hear. I saw a little girl holding a stuffed animal to her chest. She has a very childlike heart and the Lord wants her to know that he made her that way and it pleases him. He wants her to resist the pressure from outside forces to quote, grow up in the sense of denying her simple, childlike approach to life, faith, and relationship with God. Uh, another woman, uh, I saw a chef who cre uh, creates wonderfully creative, artistic, and delicious dishes in the kitchen of her restaurant. And people, this is the picture I had, and pe people were lined up on the street outside trying to get in to taste her creations. And this was the word I felt the Lord was giving to her on the basis of that photo or that picture. She has God-given artistic and creative talents that the Lord wants to use to bless others. 
However, she is tempted to close the shades on the windows of her restaurant so that people can't see in because of her insecurities. The Lord wants to help her become confident in her giftedness so that many hungry hearts will be able to feast on the delights he enables her to create. Uh, a gentleman I was praying for, I saw a lion tamer who was filled with fear when he first entered the ring with the ferocious beasts, and they were emboldened as they sensed it. However, he began to discover a valiant courage rising in his heart, and he became evident, and it became evident in his voice, expressions, and manner. As this happened, the lions were forced to back down as he commanded them. And I saw there, there were bleachers filled with a cheering audience, a cloud of witnesses that were rejoicing as they witnessed his transformation. I believe the Lord wants Daniel to know that he sees him as a mighty warrior and he needs to resist the temptation to back away from spiritual challenges. One more. I saw a sugar bowl from which many people, this was a woman, I saw a sugar bowl from which many people were sweetening their food and drinks. I believe the Lord wants her to know that he is causing many people to taste his sweetness through her. However, she needs to resist the temptation to feel taken advantage of as people dip their spoons into her life. She has a tendency to become fearful that there will not be enough left over for her. But God promises to her uh, that the sugar bowl will never be depleted as she stays close to him and there will be an abundance of sweetness for her life as well. So... That's not the only way that prophecy comes. In fact, the Bible gives us, describes many types or forms of prophecy. But I wanted you to kind of get a sense of what we're talking about. And that prophecy, prophecy is not always, in fact, um, not even the majority of the time in the Bible about the future. Sometimes it is. But most of the time, even in the Bible, prophecy is about what's happening now and what God wants to speak into now. Now. 